0: The questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth.
1: Welcome to Veritas.
0: And tonight we discuss space weather, solar maximums and minimums, magnetic reversals, ice ages, the collapse of our magnetosphere, and what the number one priority should be for Earth. Greetings, I'm your host Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And to tell us more, Tonight's special guest, by popular demand for many of you, is Ben Davidson, known to many of you from his YouTube channel, Suspicious Observers. Ben is the founder of the Mobile Observatory Project, creator of the Suspicious Observers YouTube channel, providing daily solar space weather updates since 2011, with over 113 million views. Runs SpaceWeatherNews.com is the creator of the Disaster Prediction app, and as many of you have told me, Ben Davidson is most likely more knowledgeable than many of the most highly trained in the study of climatology and the study of solar radiance. He has many websites and I have linked them all at VeritasRadio.com. Ben Davidson joins us from Albuquerque, New Mexico, my next door state. Hello, Ben, and welcome to Veritas. How are you?
2: It is very much a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I can't tell you how many people, I don't know, in the past... Three months have come to me. When are you going to have suspicious observers? Ben Davidson on in. I had to make contact with you and Kat, and glad you're here today.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you for doing so. So um, we're going to talk about the sun, huh?
0: Oh, the sun and everything else that surrounds us. So even though you're not a lawyer, you have a background in law and a law degree. You also wanted to be a weatherman, even though you don't have a degree in meteorology or degrees in science. But you became disenchanted. I'm curious about your story. For those who are not familiar with who who Ben is, I'm very curious. Take take us all the way from the beginning.
2: Um, All right. So I was born in 1984. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I (laughs) was born in 1984, but I'll I'll jump ahead a little bit. So I had a meteorology minor uh, in in college, uh, but I originally was hoping to have a meteorology major. I was at Penn State University, that is where you find uh, the famous uh, mainstream global warming climatologist Michael Mann uh, and many other uh, very, very mainstream, don't question a darn thing uh, types of uh, classrooms. And so uh, I was questioning why a lot of the research that was coming out at the time about the global electric circuit was not being integrated into weather models. And I was told again and again that it wasn't ready and that maybe someday, etc. And it was becoming very frustrating to me because it was clear that you could predict the path of uh, hurricanes much, much better if you were looking at the global electric circuit in the sun. One of the best examples of us actually doing that was with uh, Hurricane Irma. You might remember uh, back in 2017 uh, in in the fall, that one was supposed to originally uh, all the tracks had it missing Florida to the east and coming up and hitting the Carolinas. The thing actually kept driving west right into the Caribbean, uh, um, right into the Gulf of Mexico and then came up. I'm sorry, uh, it, it was supposed to miss uh, Florida to the east uh, over in the Atlantic and it ended up missing to the west. And we were, ended up we were saying that about 10 days early, uh, when it was forming. And, The point was, back in college, it was very clear that you could do this. It was very clear that you could use the global electric circuit in the sun to better predict things like hurricanes and tornadoes um, and longer-scale patterns like El Nino or La Nina, and it got to the point where I I was not just told that this is not going to be included, but that if I didn't stop uh, bringing this up in class and trying to use it in our practice forecast, that I was going to fail the class, and so... Um, I very much did become disenchanted, uh, and I had the same experience with a couple of other professors as well. The point is that it was clear back then to the professors, the very few professors who were publishing this stuff, that this could really be done. And it was also clear that nobody was taking them very seriously. Now, of course, um, I don't have to – you know, I didn't have to report to anybody, so I could use – this information, and the information is widely available. And uh, that was – I don't know if it was just frustration that I wasn't doing what they said or it was kind of scary that their entire life's work was about to be upended with something so new and revolutionary that it would basically change meteorology and climatology forever. And uh, while we're all still waiting for that to officially happen, for everybody to wrap their heads around what's going on, we've been able to actually use it to – start showing where in the world the disasters are going to happen and how it is that they are happening and why it is that the sun uh, is is able to affect these things and what exactly is the global electric circuit and how it interacts with the sun and uh, different pressure cells and water vapor and how it even interacts with the ground. Uh, it helps us predict earthquakes and volcanoes, things like that. So uh, it, that much was clear back in college. It took us, of course, the better part of a decade to get to the point where we could actually do those things, or we could actually you know, use some of this information to the point where we could actually predict it. But now we are there um, about 17, 18 years later, uh, getting pretty good at it and falling down ever more interesting rabbit holes by the month.
0: I wonder sometimes when I watch the weather, if I ever do Six o'clock news, weather, man, weather, lady, weather. I wonder, do they have the tools right now to be able to discuss space weather? You only look at Earth's weather, but I never see somebody saying, well, we have this <clears throat> cloud coming from, you know, another solar system, and it's going to reach here, and it's going to do this and that. Are we going to see that in the near future?
2: You know, I would love to tell you Yes. I would love to tell you that when you get something like Hurricane Irma popping up, the weatherman initially says, you know, a week before it, it actually arrives in U.S. waters. You know, it's, they say, you know, all the forecasts suggest that this is going to skirt up the eastern coast of Florida and then ram into the Carolinas or maybe Virginia. However, If the sun becomes active and there are sunspots on the sun right now, uh, if they do give us solar flare activity and some of the uh, some of the ejections of the sun actually affect the earth and begin to put that energy in, uh, we could see a continued westward drive of Irma into the Gulf of Mexico, at which point the west coast of Florida and the panhandle and Georgia would then have to worry something like that. I would love to start seeing Um, when they discuss winter forecast reports. It would be great if they could talk about um, the expected cosmic ray influence over clouds, uh, which would therefore influence surface temperatures and snowfall precipitation uh, and, and what that was expected to be. Because we do have very, very robust means of predicting the cosmic rays a few months to even years ahead of time and in the most general of ways, even decades in advance. Uh, so the stuff is there. It's it's what we're doing. And I think that we have seen um, a few fledgling, nascent and largely unsuccessful and oftentimes embarrassing attempts from mainstream news to try to bring space weather into the mix. It's very clear they don't know what they're talking about and do not have the tools to do it properly at the moment.
0: August 31st, 2005. You may remember that day, the Hurricane Katrina. I yes. remember a few years ago, someone sent me a video showing thermal radar following Hurricane Katrina and right in front of it, almost as if something was hitting it and the hurricane was following all the way to Louisiana. Do you, th- and, and I hate to get conspiratorial because I know you're a perfectionist and you deal with facts, but do you think it's possible for the elite, or someone, to have the capability of steering hurricanes.
2: Uh, maybe a type two or type three alien civilization. Right now, there is active weather modification going on. Some of it is public, some of it is covert. Uh, that's a that's a fancy word for secret. Uh, the most successful weather modification, and you know, the stuff about atmospheric physics and the kind of power that can be used. Uh, that stuff is well known. So um, while we don't know necessarily when they're doing some of the secret stuff, we do know a couple of things. Absolutely unquestionably, the number one most effective weather modification technique is cloud seeding. That would be, you know, salting the clouds or adding water vapor to them uh, in some form to either um, – well, I, I guess you wouldn't use water vapor for that. But so say salting the clouds to take rain out of a system – before it gets over a, a dangerous flood area or to take hail out of a system, as often happens in um, in Indonesia, they often use it after they started having some really terrible hailstorms over the past few years to decades. They started using the technology and they even as hailstorms have gotten worse uh, year over year across the world, they have actually uh, been seeing decreasing um, uh, hail damage costs because of their use of solar radiate uh not solar radiation management but cloud seeding for that purpose and that's that's at about four percent effective at most but believe it or not four percent makes a huge huge difference when it comes to rain and when it comes to hail and things like that after that we have solar radiation management which is slightly less than one percent effective that would be the spraying of things way up in the stratosphere uh some people call them chemtrails, although there's some confusion as to as to the difference between, you know, cloud seeding and chemtrails. A lot of people call out chemtrails at heights that could not possibly be chemtrails. A lot of people say cloud seeding when they see high soupy clouds, and that would clearly have to be the solar radiation management. so there's a lot of confusion there. Um Behind that would be ionospheric heating at something like a fraction of a fraction of 1%. Uh, when Harp, for example, did its best, they blasted everything they could into this pressure cell, and I think they they slowed its motion slightly and they decreased the intensity of the pressure cell. And so what I mean by that is They brought it closer to the average pressure of Earth. Almost nowhere is the actual average pressure of Earth because we have high-pressure cells and low-pressure cells that average out somewhere in the middle. Uh, But so uh, this was a high-pressure cell, and they actually brought it back closer to to normal. Uh, But when they did this, they were visible on every total electron content reader, every magnetometer, every ionoson. They created visible aurora that was was seen from – you know, parts of Canada, a large part of Alaska. Um, the uh, critical frequency of the ionosphere was disturbed worldwide for a couple of days. Every ham radio operator on the planet knew something just happened. Um, it's the kind of thing where if it's ongoing uh, to the point where you have even the slightest little effect on a pressure cell, oh boy, are you going to be visible. You are literally talking about using – the thunderbolts of the gods at that point. You can't hide something like that. And when they literally pumped pumped this thing as hard as they could, they they did something that was scientifically measurable. But when you're talking about weather modification, the real weather modification is cloud seeding and the uh, solar radiation management. The thermal heat signature that it was following was the signature of the energy of the global electric circuit. This is how it works on the planet Earth and this was once considered conspiratorial then it was considered revolutionary and now it is considered part of accepted science everywhere except meteorology fascinating uh, but in terms of physics in terms of geophysics um this is this is what earth is in high pressure cells current from the ionosphere which is this charged ionized layer at the top of the atmosphere. Electric current literally comes down in high-pressure cells to the ground and it follows the water vapor in the wind. If you've ever looked at a wind map and looked down at a high-pressure cell, it appears that everything is sort of spinning together, but it's all pushing out from a central point. That's because the air is descending and uh, the current is coming with it, uh, possibly even helping to drive it. Well, that air goes and it wraps into low pressure cells, which all suck into a central point at the surface, which means the air has to go somewhere. Where's it going? It's going upward along with the current as well. Um, so when you see something like a hurricane, uh, there is actually electric current flowing straight upward. And so lightning flashes, and especially what they call terrestrial gamma flashes or these, um, you know, uh, what do do we call them? Uh, Sprite lightning. These things are actually part of the exchange, the global electric circuit. And so every low pressure cell and every high pressure cell has this direct column of electric current uh, from the ground all the way up to the ionosphere. And it tends to determine not only the strength of the pressure cell itself, which is why Harp's electromagnetic energy was able to change it, uh, but it also dictates where it's going, uh, and they tend to follow the large-scale uh, jet stream. So these these high-pressure cells are, are never on the jet stream. Those are always on you know somewhere away from it. The low-pressure cells tend to follow the jet stream. So the current comes down in high-pressure cells far away from the jet stream, and then they're pulled towards the jet stream. If you remember where the jet stream was during Katrina, uh, it was up – you know, cutting through the United States. Well, when that storm formed under the high pressure cell and the high temperatures and sunny skies that was able to drive some of the heat that really took that storm into being what it was, you have to realize that when it became a low pressure cell, it was all of a sudden at that point uh trying to reach the rest of the currents. And so um, it's kind of like water or mercury. If it gets too close to other drops of water or mercury, they're going to want to join. Well, electricity uh, and especially electrified water vapor it, it is that times a million. Um, charged water wants to find its, uh, it, you know, it's like wa- it's like partners in that in that sort. And so, uh, 2005, interestingly, was supposed to be a down year for the sun. The sun goes into This 11 year cycle where uh, we have sunspot maximum for a few years and then sunspot minimum with virtually no activity. Well, 2005 was supposed to be virtually no activity, and we had a nice uh, cooling of the thermosphere of Earth. The upper atmosphere was uh, condensed a bit from the lack of solar flares, and then all of a sudden we got one of the most terrible solar flares um, that, that we had ever recorded. In fact, it wasn't until the solar flare that preceded Irma in 2017 that we saw a flare as strong as the one as we saw right before Katrina. We see a powerful flare an X12. It's on like the top 15 list of strongest ones ever seen. And there goes Katrina. We don't match that level until uh 2017 and here comes another run of those hurricanes and you know it wasn't just the the big flare We had here in 2017, there were a number of them, and each one of them was followed by one of those hurricanes. Remember, there wasn't just Irma.
0: No, Maria.
2: Maria afterwards, and the sunspots started coming back the day before Harvey formed in the Gulf of Mexico and then ran up at at Houston. So um, there's a reason why our student, Ferris Wald won the 2017 National Middle School Science Championship and is now um, a contender for the World uh, Championship in the Google competition uh, now that he's in high school for his connection between certain phenomena on the sun and the number of tropical cyclones. And when we say tropical cyclones, that includes hurricanes, cyclones in the Indian Ocean and typhoons in the West Pacific, all of those put together together literally the number of times these phenomena happen on the sun is the number of cyclones that are going to happen on the planet earth and you know while while we can modify the weather a little bit it became literally obvious to everyone in the world who watches anything electromagnetically that harp was doing something back then and they were able to basically do something that only scientific instruments were able to measure. Like no, nobody would have ever noticed anything to this pressure cell or anything like that. The only thing that they would have noticed was the, was the pink glow above their heads. And they would have said, what on earth is happening over there? Um, And that was reported a little bit. Uh, Although the university of Alaska did do a good job distributing information about what was going to be happening. And then again, people in Alaska are used to seeing the Aurora. And so uh, a lot of them Uh, weren't really freaked out by it. It was some of the ones who were used to seeing the brilliant greens and knew what they were supposed to be looking for, who said, hey, that pink aurora is not right right now. I'm getting off on a little tangent. The point I'm trying to make is that we are ants. We can cloud seed very well. Uh, We can do solar radiation management, but we probably shouldn't. Uh, I'm very anti-chemtrails. Uh, I, I, I'm sort of ambivalent about the concept.
1: Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now.